Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that great introduction. And I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. It is getting so exciting to see how this show, Never Ever Give Up Hope, has been received by countries literally all over the world. And I really appreciate the listeners. I appreciate the reviews and the comments. It is my guests and my listeners that are making this show a success. So each of you is important to the success of this show, and I thank you for listening. And my guests, oh my goodness, the stories are phenomenal, and the experiences and the lessons. And today with me is no exception to that. Today I have Ruth Curran, who was able to successfully overcome a traumatic brain injury as a result of a car accident. I think that very many of us know someone who has been affected, either a brain injury themselves or know someone who has been affected by a car accident. And she's going to share today her book. She's the author of Being, B-E-I-N-G, Being Brain Healthy. She's going to share her insights and proven techniques to maximize brain health and function. Ruth also has a master's degree in cognitive psychology and 28 years experience as a strategist, business development executive, and organizational behaviorist. Now, welcome Ruth. Thank you so much, Carol. It is my pleasure to be here. I'm thrilled. Well, we are thrilled to have you. So let's start with the obvious, which would be your injury. Uh, what was the prognosis at the time? Um, what, did, what were you going through emotionally and physically? And was there a point where you said, no, I'm not going to accept that prognosis. I know I can improve. So that's a lot of questions. But basically, tell us about what happened. Those are great questions. And actually, those are the right questions. That's, you know, when you're looking at working your way out of something, those are exactly the right questions. I was in a car accident 11 years ago, and I had what they call a coup counter coup brain injury. And really what that means is my brain sat on my brainstem and pivoted back and forth and bounced mm. around inside my skull. So those kind of brain injuries, it's tough to know. It's, you know, you, there's no focal point. There's no one point where I hit my head and we could localize damage. That's not it. That's not what happened at all. 
there was diffuse damage throughout my brain because of that back and forth motion. I, what happens with that kind of injury is you have all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of difficulties thinking. And the most challenging part of all of this is I walked away from the accident. Yes, they took me to the emergency room. And yes, uh, about a million and a half people every year are diagnosed with brain injury in the emergency room. They didn't pick mine up. Mm. I looked normal. Mm. I walked out with a sling. You know, my arm was pinned in between the passenger side door and my stick shift. So I had to, apparently I had to unwedge my arm. That was the only injury that they identified at the emergency room which is kind of crazy because it took 18 months to think my way out of this paper bag that really took over my life. Hmm. So that's that's the, the basics of what happened with uh, the accident. Um, we didn't know that anything was really seriously wrong because I couldn't really talk about it. I didn't have the words. I didn't understand what I needed to say to get people to, to see that there was really something wrong with the way I was thinking. I was functioning at this very high level. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting at the end of my bed, staring at the wall, thinking, what the heck is happening here? So that feeling of, um, I don't know what to do. I can't tell anyone what's going on. They just thought I was quiet. You know, they said, okay. you've got whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> You're depressed. Mm. That's why she's quiet. She's depressed. I was not depressed. I just didn't have the energy to figure out what to say. They told me that I was depressed. They told my husband that I was depressed. That's why I was quiet. Um, And that wasn't the case at all. I just had a hard time figuring out how to find the right word to tell people what was going on, how to initiate new activity. And that's just something that's really hard to explain and hard to understand. Here's this person who's, you know, functioning at a high level, one moment, gets smacked on the head. And you're fo- and, and I'm in inactivity, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, how do I get out of this? How do I work my way out of it? So that's where um, that's was the, the starting point. A lot of these things I don't really remember, which is kind of nice because, you know, that frustration is Mm. not a great thing to have to relive. Uh, So the brain was a little kind in that respect. But I did get exceptional care. Um, Actually, our attorney got us on the right track, which is a very strange place to have a brain injury diagnosed. (laughs) The the attorney picked this out. You know, he asked me to write out a report of what happened because they couldn't figure out. I, there were pieces missing from the accident report. So they asked me to write out what was happening, you know, what happened when in the sequence of events. And I sat down to write this and I will just never forget the look on my husband's face when he stood up and w- realized that here's this professional writer who couldn't construct a sentence, Mm. didn't have verbs, nothing made sense. You know, the grammar wasn't there. That was just not my writing and not who I was. So that set us down this path. Um, I think there were some turning points in my recovery process. And one is when I got really angry. Someone made me mad. It was about, Mm. about nine months in. 
and I was sitting in a therapy office and I'm not sure what kind of therapy office or what I was doing, but the woman looked at me. I know I was expressing a little frustration about hitting a plateau, which is pretty common with brain injury. Um, so I hit this plateau and I was expressing my frustration with that. I'm working so hard. Why can't I get past this point? And she looked at me and she said, you're smarter now than most people will ever be. So what's your problem? Oh, my goodness. And that made me mad. I was going to say slap across the face. Yes. <laughs> yes. The problem with that situation, I mean, you would think that, okay, so that makes you mad. That motivates you. I stormed out of that office and went bang, literally, into the wall right mm. in front of the office. Smacked my head again. So back to square Oh, you mean one. not on purpose? Not on purpose. Oh, I thought you meant you, oh, oh, out of anger. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I didn't, you know, when you're in the throes of a brain injury, it's tough to pay attention to all the mm-hmm. details. Mm-hmm. There's so many details flying at you. And that ability to sift through them and to sort gets even more difficult when you throw in any kind of emotional factor, like anger. And I was mad. What happened, though, is I did, you know, I really, that was a turning point. That was a a spot where I knew I had to make a difference. I knew (laughs) that I could not um, allow not just me to be treated like this. But I started thinking about, you know, all of these people who I know who are getting older, who are absolutely brilliant, who are being treated like they're two years old. And that wasn't okay. So that anger fueled me as well. I think the other interesting point is, you know, we have these pivot points, and I think it's not just in injury or adversity or when you're in the throes of something. I think we have pivot points in our lives. And another one of those pivot points that I hit was realizing that there wasn't an intervention. There wasn't that one treatment or therapy or therapist who was going to make me better. What was going to make me better was me. Hmm. And I had to find that. You know that feeling. You've got to, you know, I had to dig somewhere and figure out what was going to make me better. How could I enhance the moments of my life to make my brain work better? From that came this big realization that every time I felt good, every time I did something that made me feel good, I could feel my brain getting better. I could feel myself thinking better. I could feel myself processing more effectively. So I started amplifying that, turning up the noise on that, everything that made me feel better. Just do it. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So that's where I got past that one. Interesting and amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of a, it's a great thing to look at. And it's a really good thing to to think about when you feel good, your brain rewards you with this great bath of chemicals. Mm. You can almost feel it. You you can almost feel that kind of thing. I think we don't spend enough time focusing on what it feels like to feel good. We talk about, you know, returning to good, returning to that spot where everything is working well. And from medical terms, we call that homeostasis. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's when every system in your body is functioning well and you're working well and everything is you're in the lane and you're going. I think that what we skip, the step that we skip is knowing where we want to return. 
So how often do we take the time when we feel good to focus on what's my breathing like? You know, what does my skin feel like right now? I'm feeling great. Focus on all of those sensory experiences. What's your heart rate? What's your respiration? Is it controlled? How do you feel? So you know what to return to when you want to return to good. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I would say that's a sermon, right? And it's... Yeah. And I think we should preach that one. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. One of the things that I want to ask you um, before we go forward about something that you said, and that was anger. Is it true? I have heard it stated. My husband had a brain injury, and I think that's probably why uh, I'm privy to this, um, that brain injury equals anger, like the Mm -hmm. two go hand in hand. What is your thought on that? I think that's a that's a very valid point. I think that it's more accurate to say that brain injury and lack of emotional control go lack, okay. go hand okay. in hand. Okay. So it's that inability to filter and that inability to take everything that comes at you and look at it in a measured way. And often that comes out in anger, the frustration of mm, not yes. being able to find the right word. So think about that for a second. You know, you're struggling to find not just your keys, your cell phone, your shoes, but you can't find the right word. Mm. And that that sometimes is very, that frustration has anger that bubbles up behind it. There's also... Um, I remember moments of inappropriate laughter. So it's that lack of emotional control. Often with people who are in pain or who can't find a, a way to function well or are frustrated with how they're functioning, that comes out as anger. So you're very accurate in saying that brain injury and anger do go hand in hand. Where would you say you are as far as what percentage of total brain health compared to before the accident? Oh, it actually, my brain health now is better than before the accident. And let me explain that. I know that sounds really strange. Um, I didn't think about maximizing my brain. I didn't think about... On a daily basis, what can I do to make my life better? What can I do to make this next moment worth living so that my brain gives me this great bath of chemicals? So I didn't think about that before. In a lot of respects, I'm better than I was before the injury. I'm completely different. Well, you've you know, learned how, this, Sorry. No, go ahead. You've learned how to exercise your brain. Mm-hmm. And did yeah. you do that before? No, I, I did it inadvertently before. And yes, I had degrees in psychology before. I um, I worked with other people to help them maximize, but I didn't really do it for myself. I always read. I always wrote. I always played games, you know, word games. I always focused on um, finding purposeful ways to live my life, but I never amplified the moments. I never did things to make my life, my my brain life, my cognitive life, my thinking life that much more complicated and therefore activated more parts of my Mm. brain. So, you know, for example, when you sit down to eat a meal, you can turn that exercise of 
something you're going to do anyway, into a brain exercise. Think about the textures, the temperature. Think about the feel when you bite into something. What do you smell? What do you hear? What do you taste? All of those things activate areas of your brain. And when you keep those pathways open and active, your brain health is better. So that's kind of a sideways way to answer your question. But I really do believe that my brain health is better because I recognize it and I focus on it. This is totally kind of off the subject, but as you were talking, I was thinking about all the people who retire, and they look forward. I swore I'll never retire, and my whole family's like this. I mean, you know, I have time to retire when I'm dead. Hmm. I'm not, not going to retire while I'm still alive because I want to keep going and keep active. But you've heard that many people who retire very often suffer um, serious health issues, etc. Do you think that... The lack of physical exercise and and pos- and many other emotions that go around that, but also the lack of using your brain contributes to a lot of disease that older people get that maybe if they were more active, they wouldn't. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And let me tell you why. When you are when we talk about achieving balance <laughs> in your body, When we talk about achieving balance in your body, we look at the whole picture. When you, your brain is the command center for your entire body. If you're not using your brain, if you're not using your brain, you're losing out on a whole bunch of activity that can fuel every part of your body. So your systems need signals from your brain to work well. Your organs need signals from your brain to work well. If you don't have all the connections and everything is not working and flowing well, your body will suffer. The whole system suffers. You're dealing with the command center. And when you stop using pieces of your command center, you're Mm. really cheating yourself out of good electrical and chemical activity that just fuels your life. Retiring is an interesting idea. Depends on what you're retiring from (laughs) and what you're retiring to, right? (laughs) Exactly. So if you're retiring from, for example, um, a, a job that has you thinking a very specific way and you were in a structured situation and you're retiring to a situation that's more diversified, your health will get better. Good point. Because you're expanding. Mm-hmm. You're expanding. So it depends on how you look at that whole retirement thing. You know, um, I don't ever want to retire from life. I don't ever want to stop living my purpose. Living your purpose is a great way to keep your brain active. That's a good way of putting it. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were when you were in recovery, did you was it an uphill fight like did you have emotional issues where you thought that you know you weren't going to win per se or or did you always feel that this is the route that I'm taking this is where I'm headed and nothing's gonna stop me oh boy that's a that's a loaded question Mm -hmm. I think I think moment to moment that changes and Mm. I think that as you know very well finding hope And finding that little bit of extra that you need to succeed 
and to move beyond is difficult some days. Some days it's not that difficult. Some days, you know, you get up and you think, okay, I'm ready to tackle the world. I'm ready to take this on. Let's go. I can handle this. Other days you get out of bed and look around and think, really, is this worth it? <laughs> so it's a moment-by-moment moment thing. There were, there were no easy curves in this recovery. Really? Ha- yeah, yeah. And I think that it's pushing beyond. And I think it's, you know, I think it's doing those things that make us feel good and trying to find those things that make us feel good and focusing on them. That self-fulfilling prophecy is what pushed me through. That was my question. Where mm -hmm. did you get your strength? Is that where it came from? I think so. I think looking back, I think that what fueled me was the fact that I knew I could feel good. Mm. And it was out there. And I knew it. I felt it. It's like um, I'd recently learned how to play golf. I now play well enough that I hit one good shot, which is enough to make me feel good enough to come back the next time. The rest may not be so great, but it's those moments, it's that, you know, those flashes of brilliance. That right, flashes moment. of brilliance. I love that. It, exactly. It's that moment where you feel really good and you know that it's going to be okay, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's worth pushing through it. Some days that's tougher than others to get through. And I don't know if your husband experienced this or not, but my wall came very quickly. Came, you know, we talk about that metaphorical wall that you Mm. run into um, when you have nothing left in the tank. My wall came very quickly. And frequently I ran into it at full speed. And I was just done for the day. I had to sit there, recoup. And not think another thought because another thought was not there. The difference between a brain injured brain, an injured brain and a, a, func- a brain that's functioning well is that you have reserve. A brain that is functioning well has reserve. You can mm. dig a little bit deeper and find something. Someone with a brain injury who's hit the wall, hit that cognitive wall, has nowhere to dig. There's nowhere to dig. Was fear an element? Yes. How yes. did you how did you deal with that? Did you have to talk yourself out of it? Yes. And that's that's exactly right. I don't know that there's any way other way to get out of fear. Um I think that I think we have to move beyond fear. We have to move ourselves beyond fear. We need to take ourselves to that place where we realize that there's something worth reaching for. And you do that through exercise or you do that through all kinds of yeah, all kinds of things. Physical exercise does that because it it fuels you. So all of those things, again, those things that make you feel good, those are all these great self-fulfilling prophecies. If you can build on those, um, take the things that you love, take the things that you know make you feel good and repeat them. Then take them and pair them with things that aren't so great, you know, or that you don't mm-hmm. really look forward to. I did that with music. 
um, I absolutely love music and I can get lost in music and it makes me feel on so many different levels. Music also does crazy things to your brain, too, that helps you feed and helps you repair. So I took that thing that I knew made me feel good and I paired it with something that I didn't necessarily want to do, like exercise. Mm. Turned that exercise into something that was much more enjoyable. So it's that taking the things that you know make you feel good, pairing those with things that maybe are not all that desirable or you think, oh, God, do I really need to do that today? Mm. And make them just a little bit better so you can step your way out of those kind of you can step your way out of those kind of things. You know, you can take that fear and move beyond the fear. With things that make you feel good. Move beyond the fear. That's a bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because a, it makes a punch, doesn't it? It does. And here's, I mean, this is crazy. And I know I keep saying this. It's, you know, I, I am a broken record. Do what makes you feel good. And isn't that so cool that we can do what makes us feel good and know that we're feeding our brains and know that we're fueling our bodies by making ourselves feel good. What would happen? I mean, think about this. What would happen if we stopped thinking about what are we going to do to make it better? You know, how do I fix this problem in me? Instead of looking at it like that, what if we said, what can I do to make this next moment worth living? Wow. What if we make that shift, that perspective shift? Yes. How much hope can can how much hope could you build by making that simple shift? It's your focus. Mm-hmm. It comes down to focus, doesn't it? It does. It does, and it's what we choose. It are those. It's those things. You and I talked a little bit about behavior and how how you behave and what you do on a day to day basis. What that can do to change and shift your health status. So if you take make that shift and focus on those things that really enhance your life, that enhance your ability to function, that enhance your ability to look at this moment and say, okay, this one's worth living. How do I repeat that? Keep repeating, keep repeating, keep keep repeating. And this good self-fulfilling prophecy starts happening. Well, you are obviously very passionate about this subject, and I believe that your passion has just literally built over the years, and it probably will continue to grow and build because you passionately want to not only improve, but to help others improve, and that's remarkable. I don't know if it's remarkable. I think the cool thing is that it's so simple. It really is that easy. Focus on what you love. And what everything else feeds, doesn't it? What I mean by remarkable is that you're passionate about helping others, mm-hmm. that part. Because, yeah. you know, rather than this is what you have learned and now this is what I want to share. Right. And your passion. And that's beautiful. Remark, whatever word you want to, <laughs> to use to label it. But that's what this is. this world is all about when we help one another and we lift each other up and we see what someone else is going through and, and give them that helping hand or thought, whatever it is that they need. So that takes me to um, 
uh, I want you to expound on how we can change our brain function by changing our behavior, because I think this is what where the crunch is, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And I want to go back just for a second. Sure. A lot of what, you know, a lot of what you and I are talking about is what you're doing with your show. You're giving people who have hope, who find hope within, uh, who find hope within a situation where there may not be, mm. you know, where it may not feel like it's a hopeful situation. You're giving that a voice. You're allowing people to see that we can keep going. And not only do we can we fight through this, but we can actually get better. We can live better. Mm. We can focus on that quality of life. You know, take everything and put quality of life front and center. And that kind of segues into the, the conversation about behavior. So it's those things that we do every single day. Um, so let's take an example. I talked a little bit about food before, which is my favorite sensory. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite sensory example. Um, and when you activate your senses, you really light up areas of your brain. When you do things like you can take a, an activity like folding laundry and turn it into a brain exercise. Mm. So take the laundry, uh, the done laundry, dump it on the bed, sort by color. Take your, you know, sort your clothes by color, folds by color, put away by color. Sort by texture. Sort by time of year. Take those things and categorize and you're making your brain think a little bit more. Okay, okay. Takes about, you know, 15, 20 mm -hmm, seconds mm -hmm. longer to focus on that. So that's the kind of thing that you can do. Or standing in line at the grocery store, pick up a magazine and try and find 10 words within a sentence, within a headline. Challenge yourself to do a little bit more, a little bit extra while you're waiting in line, while you're doing things that you need to do anyway. One thing that just triggered what you just said, and I don't even know if this goes, you know, in the same category or not, and that is when I was quite young, um, I used to pretend all the time when I was by myself that I was being watched. And my behavior was a lot different when I knew I was being watched because it made me strive to do better, to do everything right. Mm -hmm. Now, does that go along with what a little bit of what you're saying? It does. And, and I think what it does go along with perfectly is that perspective shift. So you're looking at how you behave in a different way. If you want to maximize brain health in, a situ in, in everyday situations, make things more complicated. Mm. Think about it. Yeah, think about it this way. So every time you do something or think Every time you do something or think something or act in a specific way, you're lighting up different areas of your brain. It's about those connections okay. in the brain, okay. and it's about keeping them all active. So if you can activate two or three or four different pathways in your brain in one activity, make it complicated. Fire up your brain. Keep those pathways open and alive. The cool thing about that is you let your brain know that if something happens to one area of your brain, it has another way of thinking about it. 
That's very can, well put, yes. He can zig or zag if mm-hmm. you need to zig or zag. Now, I'm not sure. I read this in your bio, and I'm not sure if you, you've covered this uh, totally as much as you would like or not. But one of the questions I had down here was, how do we create the healthiest chemical and electrical balance in our brains? Yeah, and I think that's really what we're talking about. Okay, we're talking okay. about that. We're talking about that whole um, homeostasis. Okay. Okay. You know, maximizing your functioning by amplifying an experience, giving it more, making it more complicated. Give your experience, your day-to-day experience, more color, more dimension, more depth. Activate more pathways in your brain. If you continue to do that, you will achieve that chemical balance. So we talked about how when you feel good, you release that trifecta, the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. That's that trifecta of feel-good chemicals. And music does that a lot, too, just as you said, right? Yes. And so does laughter. You know, so those are the kind of things to think about. You know, all of those things that amplify your experience, laughter, music, food, flavors, all of that stuff. The senses, the central part. Mm -hmm. Right. The senses, anything that makes you feel. Uh And that's different for different people. Um, I before my accident, I loved to read. I just had a conversation about this with somebody yesterday. I absolutely love to sit down, read and escape in a book. In the throes of my accident, I, my eyes wouldn't focus for more mm. than 20 minutes on the page. And I lost that element that I absolutely loved until someone introduced me to audiobooks. Mm. So that was a way of reintroducing something that I loved into my day. So I didn't have to give up books. Find alternatives. That's right. Find alternatives and keep it complicated. Mm-hmm. Keep it I, complicated. I yes. like that. Keep it complicated. I'm going. That is something I think that I'm going to zero in on. That I'm learning from what you're sharing today because it's just it's stimulation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think one of the things, especially our generation, <clears throat> has was taught that you know we were born with a certain number of brain cells. We go through our lives. We they die. We kill them. The environment destroys mm-hmm. them. Whatever. Um. And then we're doomed to this steady (laughs) decline. And that simply isn't true. It's about the connections. Each one of those brain cells has so many connections to other brain cells. If we keep those connections active and alive and we create new connections by creating new experiences and by activating all those parts of our brain, we actually create a denser area. We create more activity in the brain. We create more chemical and electrical activity, which then translates to better functioning, which then translates to more feeling, more experiencing, more living in that moment. Well, obviously what you're saying uh, is not what I expected in that (laughs) – let me, let me clarify, please, um, that I assumed when I was going to interview you that this was going to be about bettering brain health for people with brain injury. But basically what you are saying is that this is for every single 
human being on this planet planet that we need to improve we can improve the ability is there we need to complicate our brain to keep it healthy and who doesn't want that right exactly and and i think the other thing to think about is that um when when you amplify your life when you turn up the noise on your experience and you keep those pathways open and alive you're putting quality of life front and center you're keeping that quality of life right where it belongs right where we need it to be so it doesn't matter if you're fighting your way out of a challenge or if you're um, fighting your way out of balancing your checkbook, hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Make this next moment, make that shift. Think about what's going to make this next moment worth living. Focus on maximizing every minute and making them good. Can you imagine what would happen if we all just made that shift? Scary. <laughs> yeah. Scary in a good Scary way. Scary in a good way. That's what I was yeah. going to say, right? Exactly. 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 <laughs> so tell us about your book. I know that it is is most of what you shared today in your book, or what? It, tell us about your book. Um, my book talks about all kinds of things. What? And I wrote this book because there are all kinds of great memoirs out there. There are all kinds of books that talk about brain functioning from on this higher level, but there isn't, there wasn't really a book that talks about a personal experience, a practical recovery and wrapped all of that in and wrapped all of that in a, a whole package of How do I maximize my Mm. life and how do I move beyond it? How can I be? I talk about in the book, I talk about all of the ways to be, to be brain healthy. It's be active. That's physically active and mentally active. Be engaged. Engage in your life mentally. You know, there's a big difference between getting through your life, getting through your day and actually being engaged in it understanding what's going Mm -hmm. on and activating all of that stuff. Um, Be social. We know that people, you know, that whole Mm -hmm. social interaction is a complicated, when you think about that complicated dance of (laughs) acting and reacting when you're social, um, be purposeful. It's amazing what happens. There's all kinds of new research about um, what happens in your brain chemically and electrically when you live a purposeful life, when you feel like you're doing things that are purposeful. And as we get older, we think about that legacy we want to leave. So instead of retiring from, retire to <laughs> leaving that legacy and be complicated. So those are the ways to be. That's really the cornerstone of the book are those five ways to be and how to focus your life. I also talk about, um, and that's really what I thought I was writing about. When I sat down to write this book, that's what I thought I was writing about is, you know, here are ways that you can be brain healthy. Um, Here are ways that you can make your life better. That was the path that I thought I was going down. After I wrote the book, published it, I, I started talking to people about their impressions. And that wasn't really... What they were getting out of the book, what they were getting is, I didn't know how it felt 
to be in the middle of a brain injury. Hmm. I had no idea that personality change was not just a rarity, but absolutely common. Mm-hmm. And as you talked about, that um, inability to control emotions is very, very common. So people didn't understand that. Frequently, people with brain injury are diagnosed with depression and actually treated, you know, treated as mm-hmm. if they, were, they had chemical depression. And it's not depression. It's exhaustion. It's apathy. It's a lack of initiation. It's all of those things that manifest themselves as being quiet or reserved or withdrawn, which looks to the outside world as depression, but it's not. So it's all those things that people are latching on to. You know, what does it feel like to be inside a brain injury? Brain injury is a very broad thing. It's not just car accidents. It's chemo brain. Mm-hmm. It's anesthesia. Anesthesia causes this fog in a lot of people. That's right. And and nobody talks about that. I'm, you know, other medications do mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Stroke frequently comes with that little bundle of joy of brain injury. Um, you know, other diseases, neurological diseases like uh, MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, all of those things that change how we think. Think about this, and this is kind of a scary thought. You're more likely to know someone who's had a brain injury than you are to have to know someone who's had cancer. That statistically is amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. And those who have not lived with someone who's had a brain injury or have lived inside a brain, brain injury don't understand that these are all common elements and that even when somebody looks oh so normal, they may not behave oh so normal. That's difficult. Hmm. And I think that's where the one of the problems is, is because it's what's expected of you. Like oh, you said, you know, I mean, that, and that can cause a whole bunch of negative emotions in itself, right? Oh, exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. When you look at someone um, who doesn't look any different mm-hmm. at all, if you looked at me the day before my accident and the day after my accident, you wouldn't really see a whole lot of difference. Mm-hmm. I had a bump on the side of my head in a sling. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I looked oh so normal. So why wouldn't you expect me to act the same? That's right. And it just wasn't possible. And now you're better. Than ever. Now I'm, and now I'm different. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, I'm very different than than I was. Um, I, I think I'm much more positive. I think I'm much more focused on living uh, more fully because of this little bump on my head. Now, do you have workshops where you teach techniques or is it strictly through your website or what? I do. Um, I'm starting to do workshops. I speak frequently. Um, I write very frequently. So I have two blogs. Um, I am constantly talking to people about, you know, how to maximize their lives and how to lift themselves up. Um, another focus is how to be a good caregiver for somebody, as I'm sure you know, with your husband having a brain injury, it's not easy to care for someone who isn't the same. Mm-hmm. So that's a big focus for me. How do you not 
um, get dragged down into the situation? How do you become a partner in healing as opposed to a caregiver? That's How do you a show in itself. Shift? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And we should do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, That'd let's do that. Yeah. That's a date. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't, I think very often we do focus on the person with the problem, but I remember um, about a year into my husband's injury where he was bedridden for six years and the, um, the, the specialist said that most people, spouses, do not stay. They cannot cope. And so that you're right. I think that is a, a, a real good thing that um, we could discuss is, right. is how do you cope when you're the caregiver for someone with Alzheimer's or, um, you know, where, I mean, oh, my goodness, you just opened up a whole new new avenue. I'm getting excited. Or how do you care for someone, you know, not just not just the extreme like Alzheimer's, but how do you care for someone who's going through chemotherapy and not only is dealing with that physical, you know, all the physical elements of chemotherapy, but also those um, that poison that's killing Mm. the disease, which needs to kill the disease is also affecting how you think and how you process and your emotional ability. So translate what you were talking about, about that common anger and that common frustration that people see with brain injury, translate that to something like chemo brain. Well, even baby fog, you know, people Mm. talk about when they're pregnant. I mean, the brain, (laughs) fortunately, it doesn't last that long. At least we can hope that. But, you know, there are so many things, as you were saying, that do affect the way we think that are physical. Right. And let's not even start on menopause, right? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That's okay. Well, that's another another show. (laughs) Right, right, right. Oh, Ruth, this has been great. It has been enlightening is is um, a weak word what's a better word I mean it has definitely been stimulating yeah and and well I hope it's inspiring inspiring absolutely because if anyone is listening and like you said I wrote that down how many people are affected by brain injury as opposed to those affected by knowing someone with cancer that is mind-blowing because you're right I I always thought a brain injury as coming from an accident but no it affects so many people's lives because of the different types of brain injury that there are. Right. And for each one of those people who has is um, going through any kind of cognitive challenge, there are three people who have to deal with that person mm. at least every day in the workplace, at home, or the teller in the, in the, at the bank. Absolutely. I mean, yes. And learning how to how to cope from both sides, Mm -hmm. I think, is an excellent, uh, uh, excellent way to, you know, that we could go into another show, like I said, and just learning, giving us coping skills for those of us who know someone. And obviously, it's going to be a lot of people who have had these challenges in their life. So I thank you, Ruth. This has been inspiring, encouraging, enlightening all of the above and I thank you for the platform and for doing what you do you know without people who do what you do messages kind of float out there 
with no. no place to go. You're really providing something absolutely phenomenal, and I I would love to recognize that. Well, I really thank you, and that was the whole purpose initially, and it's definitely growing. There is there is the need for people to have something to grasp onto, and to know that there are other people out there, just like what we're talking about today, that have gone through what. I am going through. People are always looking for that. Yeah. Because it gives them hope and encouragement in mm-hmm. the area that they need it. So Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thank you again, Ruth, and we look forward let's let's talk about another show coming up very soon. I Anytime. think that sounds great and I really thank you for everything you shared today. And thank for everything you. you're doing. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.